0: This is Amateur Logic 72 for November 15th, 2014. TNC Pi, Wattmeters, and Python. This episode of Amateur Logic is brought to you by Gigaparts.com. Use the coupon code ALTV-HILE by December 31st, 2014 and save $10 off any color of new HILE Pro 7 headset. MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at MFJEnterprises.com. And by ICOM. Get on HF with ICOM. Episode 72. I'm George. I'm Tommy. And I'm Peter. And we've got a fun show lined up for you today. Uh, A few different type of things in here, but uh, that's just the way it's going to be this time. It's a
1: variety show.
0: Yeah. The neighbor out here is mowing his yard. You may can hear that.
1: At least the weather dogs aren't fired
0: up. Yeah, that's true. But they could be before the show's over. So, Tommy, what have you been up to lately?
1: Man, I've been playing around... Well, actually I came over here and I hijacked that TNC Pi that you made a while back it yeah, has been sitting on the shelf and uh, played around with that this month.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I did um well, I took a look at some test equipment that we we kinda all need one of these. Uh pretty handy little thing to have. But, Peter, what have you been up to?
2: Well, uh, I, I put together a, a bit of video uh, uh about uh, a programming language I use called Python, which uh I really strongly recommend that people check out because it's so easy to learn.
0: Yeah, I haven't really even looked at Python. I don't think.
2: Really?
1: Yeah, it's it's nice. It's a nice little scripting language. Similar to C? No, 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 not at all. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well.
2: So, uh, do you did you ever program in Basic, George? Oh yeah. Yeah, it's a bit like that on steroids. No line numbers though.
1: Yeah, but the, the the indentations and things in the code are kind of funny. It's, uh, oh,
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's just required? a peculiarity of the language. Wow.
0: Well, well I'll, I'll be doing some sooner or later, I'm sure, if we we'll want to do anything on a Raspberry Pi. Although you can get C for that, can't you?
1: Sure. Oh, yeah. You can do there are a lot of things yeah. you can program on it. I guess you can get BASIC for it, too. Uh, I'm sure you can. BASIC, PHP, MONO. Yeah, I installed mono online, playing around with the, some of the .NET type stuff, C-sharp. Yeah. Mm.
0: Well, cool. Well, let's get on into it. Uh, Peter, what is your first email down there this time around?
2: Yeah, uh, my first email is about my balloon transmitter segment. Now, uh, perhaps some people were expecting to see the balloon floating this particular month but uh i still have one or two little tests that i have to do before i actually put it up in the air um, i want to see that that signal is actually going to be received over a few kilometers first anyway dave uh, victor echo three oscar oscar uh, it's either a one or an india uh probably in india says he is uh so he's obviously a canadian <laughs> uh, says he's been doing something similar with high power rockets Uh, He used a PC controller to control the AD9850 board. He says that you need to be aware of harmonics and key clicks uh, from King, the carrier. He suggests using a FET to get the power up to one watt. He also provides a link to www.handsummers.com forward slash ultimate3.html, which is uh, uh, apparently uh, quite useful in that regard. Now, with respect to getting the power up to one watt, um, I think I'm trying to remember what the for the particular frequency I'm using. Uh, I think I've got a it's either a 50 or a 100 milliwatt limit. So um, having that power amplification circuit uh, isn't of much use. However, um, having a filter on on the end is a good idea. And so I'll, I'll check the the link out and see if I can um, add a few extra components in there.
0: Cool, that's uh, a good tip there.
2: Absolutely.
0: So what have you got? You got that three page email over there, don't
1: yeah, you? Yeah, I've got a long one. I'm gonna kinda of summarize mine a little bit because oh. we're gonna run out of uh, tape on the camera otherwise. But okay. uh, actually it's a good email from Lou. Uh K I six Y V X. If you remember on the Pacific Con episode, George showed these uh let me get oh yeah, we're on camera, sorry. These little two devices that he got out there, PacificCon and uh No, actually the those were mailed to me afterwards. Oh, okay. Okay my bad that ain't, anyway they're pretty cool little devices but uh anyway he says i watched Con special today and saw george discussing the power pole pal and the power pole bass Ackwards.
0: yeah that's the pal right
1: there yeah. and that's the bass that's, that's the back bass aquards <laughs> something like that
0: <laughs> okay
1: anyway he said he showed a shot of the fame website Fame is uh, Fresno area mentors and Elmers. It's a local instructor group that he belongs to, but it's not really associated with the the power tools here. Uh, but but uh, said they have a small group of hams, of uh, three guys who like to build, make, etc. We host a maker table at local ham fest and get-togethers to promote kit building, developing ham-related projects, etc. We use Arduino's, uh, Raspberry Pis. Uh, as well as simpler projects our mantra is wouldn't it be cool if yeah that that is a good mantra so that kind of lets your your mind run run wild on things that you can put together but uh anyway we we don't mind taking someone's project and taking it to the next level but these two are some of their most well-received uh devices that they've done he says i enjoy amateur logic and eagerly await each show keep up your great work 73
0: yeah, well, thanks, Lou. That's. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sorry about that. Actually, uh, apparently you didn't see the live stream because when we did the live stream, I said it. Uh, it came from the Mount Diablo Amateur Radio Club. Oops. And then I realized <laughs> that wasn't right, and I, I knew Gordo had said something about it on a previous episode of Ham Nation, and he mentioned Fame. So that that's why I put that on there. But uh, that, good to know. The, the real truth on it because i didn't know when i was editing i was the, the card that came with it told what they were but it didn't say who they were from yeah so i got it i still think
1: they're way. pretty awesome little
0: devices oh yeah very handy to have in your in your bag of uh, power poles you know i keep a bag of power poles here and yeah those 50
1: you 50 keep
0: 50. a bag of PL 259 <laughs> yeah these we things. all
1: have our baggage
0: yeah These stay with my power pole, so I got them whenever that issue comes up. Well, Peter, I know you've already told us what you're going to
2: do this month. So anything else you want to say before we look at it? There might be a few viewers out there, perhaps who are more just uh, traditionally into ham radio and uh, not so much into the computing side of things and have looked at programming and thought, oh, it's all too hard. I can't. uh, I'll never learn. But uh look do do have a look at Python um it's a uh it's a really simple language to learn and the commands are very much like uh just like English so uh with just a little bit of uh, effort and a bit of practice uh you can pick it up quite easily today we're going to have a look at a programming language called Python but first a little history in secondary college in the early 1980s, I studied a programming language called BASIC on an Apple II computer. BASIC was an extraordinarily easy language to learn with simple, powerful commands using a simple English syntax. For example, let's say you wanted to write a program to print the words C++ is completely incomprehensible. You would first give the command a line number, say 10, and then use the print statement followed by the sentence which is contained in exclamation marks. 10. C++ is completely incomprehensible. You would then run the program, which means that you would tell the computer to start executing the commands in the program. BASIC was simple, powerful and readable, but admittedly ran slowly on older machines like the Apple II. It was no surprise then that shortly afterwards that the Fun Police arrived and decreed that BASIC was bad. They said that having line numbers was bad, that it wasn't a structured language and that it encouraged poor programming habits. So people moved away from using BASIC towards structured languages like C, C++ and Visual BASIC, which could run much faster but were arguably less readable. Around this time, I lost interest in programming and I was not to return to it until some decades later. In 2012, however, I faced a problem. I was earnestly trying to find a comet using images from the Soho telescope and I thought it would be helpful if I could write a program to find comets by mathematically analysing the data stored in the image frames provided by the telescope. I searched the internet and found an implementation of BASIC called Just BASIC. By now computing speeds had increased by a factor of several magnitudes, so now BASIC programs could run much more quickly. The syntax and structure of Just BASIC was virtually identical to Apple BASIC, so it didn't take very long to master the language. However, my Finnish program was still a little slow, so I thought I would try and learn a fast language. I looked at C and C++, but the commands used seemed incomprehensible. It was then that I learned about a new programming language called Python. Python was invented in the late 1980s by Guido van Rossum, a Dutch programmer who is otherwise known by the Python community as Benevolent Dictator for Life. The main features of Python are that it's simple and powerful and much of the syntax is quite similar to BASIC. The fact that the language is named after Monty Python, along with the fact that it's open source, also makes the language quite appealing. I enrolled in a free online course with the Massachusetts Institute of Technology under their EDX program, and six months later, I had a good understanding of Python and a certificate from MIT. Python is an interpreted language, but compilers are available, such as CPython, which can speed things up considerably. Even though it's an interpreted language, it still runs comparatively quickly. Furthermore, Python can be expanded by the use of add-on libraries written by the Python community. There are, for example, Python libraries to do image processing and implement extensions for Windows. So why should you be interested in learning Python? The answer is that the Raspberry Pi, that popular low-cost single-board computer from England, can run Python. Furthermore, it's possible to configure Linux so that your Python program will start up from boot. That gives you an Arduino-like functionality, but with a much more powerful processor and extended graphics capability. That's not to say that the Arduino is bad. For simple embedded applications, the Arduino uses less power, is smaller, and is quite appropriate. However, for higher-end applications, for example involving graphics or applications requiring more speed, the Raspberry Pi is the better choice. And for standalone applications requiring significant computational power, a standalone computer running on Linux or Windows is the better option. To get started with Python, you need to download the IDE, the Integrated Development Environment. It's called IDLE and is, of course, named after Eric Idle of Monty Python fame. And IDE is just a fancy name for a word processor with some added functionality. If you visit www.python.org, you can download Python for Linux, Windows or your Mac. You'll see mention of two versions of Python, version 2 and version 3. Version 2 is the old version, and version 3 is an updated version 2 with some slightly different commands. However, I prefer to use version 2 because it has better library support. Once you've installed Python, you'll see an icon on your desktop called IDLE. You can double-click on this to open the IDE. If you're using the Raspberry Pi with the Raspbian operating system, you'll find that Python comes pre-installed. However, I wouldn't recommend using the Raspberry Pi for program development, because the operating system can run quite slowly at times in its graphical environment. You're better off installing Python on a standalone computer, developing the program there as far as you can, then transferring the program to your Pi to be finished and tested. Let's now open up IDLE and make a simple program to illustrate just how easy it is to program in Python. First, click on the idle icon. You're now in the IDE. The first thing to note is that the interpreter can function as a command line interpreter. In other words, you can give the interpreter commands, and it will respond in real time. At this point, I should point out that making a computer program is much like making a recipe. A computer program consists of a series of commands that you give to the computer. Some commands immediately do one thing only. For example, they print a number to the screen. Other commands do things multiple times. For example, the while command will continue to execute a series of commands immediately under the while command and indented a few spaces in until a certain condition is met. And other commands are conditional. For example, the if command looks to see whether a particular statement is true or not and if it is, it will execute a series of commands that are indented a number of spaces from the left and immediately under the IF command. Let's now look at a simple program I found on the internet. Before executing the program, you first save it, File, Save, and then hit F5. Let's now look at what the program did when I pressed F5. The first statement set the variable COUNT to a value of 0. Next we have a while statement, and what happens here is that there are a series of commands which will continue to be executed over and over again, so long as the statement immediately after the while command is true. In other words, for so long as the value of the variable COUNT is less than 9, the computer will execute the indented commands. It first prints out the value of count, initially this is zero, and then increments the value of count by one. The while statement now checks to see if count is less than nine, which it still is, and again prints out the value of count, and again increments count by two. As you can see, as it goes round and round, the value of count is increasing until finally it reaches uh, nine eventually get to the point where count has incremented up to the value of 9. At this point, count is no longer less than 9, so the statement count is less than 9 is no longer true, and the computer exits the loop and continues executing the commands immediately following. The next and last command it encounters is simply a command to print the word goodbye on the screen. At this point, we know the computer has finished running the program. As you can see, the commands are plain English and simple to understand. A full Python tutorial can be found at www.tutorialspoint.com forward slash python forward slash. Once you have mastered the black art of Python programming, you can look around on the internet for add-on libraries which expand the functionality of Python and give your programs greater power. And if you're really brave, you can Google Python Raspberry Pi GPIO pins to find resources to teach you how to control the GPIO pins on the Raspberry Pi from Python. There's also great support for Python programming at www.raspberrypi.org forward slash forums forward slash. You can ask questions in the Python forum and get help with your programming problems. Well, I'm going
0: to have
1: to take a look at Python. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I had no idea it was named after Monty Python, though. I thought it would be cool if they would have named it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, you yeah, know, I know you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm <laughs> willing to learn. Knock, knock, knock. The, ni- the <laughs>
2: nights you- Yeah, I actually do have a fully working program which will take images from the Soho telescope and find comets, and it actually works. It's not perfect, but it's it's good enough to be a workable proposition. So. Um, uh, and it runs well reasonably quickly given the amount of computations that it has to do. Uh if it was in C it would run a little bit quicker of course but uh just shows you what you can you can do if you actually uh um you, with a uh, a language like that. Yeah,
1: it's a po- it's a powerful language. I know a lot of system administrators use it to you know to to maintain the servers and stuff too. You can do pretty much anything with it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: and although I skimmed over it very quickly, um, you you heard mention of a, a language called Just Basic. Um, if you if you're really into basic programming, I'd encourage people to check that out because uh, that's quite a good free implementation of Basic uh, for your Windows machine. Uh, will that run on the Raspberry Pi as well? No, 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 no. I think this one's purely for um, for Windows, maybe Mac as well. Yeah.
1: I think there is a basic interpreter for the pie, though. I think it seemed like I had it on there when we first got them. Hmm. Okay,
2: cool. Yeah. What was your, just quickly, what was your thoughts on line numbers? I always rather liked them, but uh, a lot of people uh, d- didn't, unfortunately. I I really hadn't thought about it. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I didn't miss them when they were gone, no, but I didn't, I didn't mind either. them when I had to use them either.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Easy easier no. to f- find your place in a program, I guess, with mm-hmm. them. But, you know, most of your modern um, uh, program environments will show you the line number down at the bottom mm-hmm. anyway, if you just remember to look.
1: Yeah, but you don't have to do a go-to.
0: That's true. You, don't, you can, mm-hmm. though. You don't have to. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well,
0: we'll be back with more in just a moment. The new Heil Pro 7 headset was designed using technology Bob Heil learned from Paul Klipsch back in the early 70s. The ear cup is specially tuned for very low distortion with maximum voice articulation providing the ultimate communication sound reproduction. The 2 inch thick gel foam ear pads provide extreme comfort for extended periods of operation and passive noise reduction to minus 26 dB ideal for use in high ambient noise environments. The exclusive Heil phase reversal system allows you to acoustically move signals forward and creates a spatial widening of the sound field, making it easier to pull a weak signal from a pileup. The Pro 7 also includes a speaker balance control and the ability to interchange microphone elements. The Pro 7 comes with a Heil HC7 dynamic element featuring the Heil speech articulation response curve, and the Pro 7 IC has an electric element for low-gain ICOM radios. With color choices of black, red, blue, and pink, there's a Heil Pro 7 headset made just for you. Gigaparts is the largest independent amateur radio dealer in the nation. Everything you need for ham radio, including books, DVDs, antennas, rope, coax, and tuners. Gigaparts has it all and is open Monday through Saturday. Call us toll free at 866-535-4442. And our friendly staff will be happy to help you find the right products for nearly any project and budget. Online shopping made easy with real time pricing and availability, and free shipping on most orders. Go to gigaparts.com and enter to win a free radio. Have a question? Click on live chat for a quick answer. Low prices? Huge selection. America's favorite ham radio store is Gigaparts. Use the coupon code ALTV-HILE at gigaparts.com by December the 31st, 2014, and you can save $10 off any color of Heil Pro 7 headsets. You know, Tommy, that was a pretty nice-looking set of uh, headphones. Yeah, those are nice. I didn't know he had those. They must be brand new. Uh, They are brand new. As a matter of fact, they shipped some in here for me to make that commercial with, and I had them for one day, and I had to ship them back because... Oh, man. Yeah, you know they really haven't been released yet, and uh, they had to scrape together parts to to put one some together for me to use for that. And yeah. Ship them right back, but I believe uh, middle of this month they're supposed to be uh, out on the market. Cool. So uh, yeah, a nice set of headphones there. Well, I did a little uh, playing with meters this time. You know, watt meters, SWR meters, and all. And let's just take a look at that. Let's talk a little bit about watt meters. You know, in the early days of ham radio, we really didn't have watt meters, and amateurs would often use a light bulb to tune their rig up. The brighter the bulb, the higher the wattage. Eventually, we did get meters to measure forward and reflected power. Let's take a look at a few of them here. On the low end, this is a CB watt meter from the 1970s. It had scales for 10 watts and 100 watts, and also measured VSWR. Now, there are some hams that use these as their wattmeters for amateur use. I would be careful of that. These things are made to operate on the CB frequencies and may not necessarily be accurate on all the ham bands. But let's take a look at how you would use this wattmeter. An RF wattmeter will have an input and an output, and it's important that you observe that when you're connecting it transmitter goes on the input and your antenna or dummy load goes on the output now if I key a rig into this one the rig is set for 100 watts I'm on the 100 watt scale here I see I've got approximately 80 watts according to this meter now this is a CB meter and I'm actually operating on 20 meters so there could be some discrepancy there now how would you check SWR with this Well, you put your meter into the SWR position, and you also put the other switch into the forward position, and then you adjust the set level. You key up the transmitter, and you adjust the needle here until it's right at the end of the scale. Once you've done that, you flip the switch back to the reflected position, and there's your reflected power. A little over 1.1 to 1. A lot of meters use this method of calibration for SWR, and it could be a little bit different on some. For a number of years now, many HF transceivers have had a wattmeter and SWR meter function built into them. This old TS450S has a wattmeter, and you can see it says it's reading 100 watts of power here, and it has an SWR around 1.1. Now, you may have to go through some menu settings or some switch pushes, to get to the correct scales. Here we have the transmit meter and we can see that that cycles through between ALC and SWR. On this FT-857D there's still a meter where you can select between modulation, power, ALC and SWR. It's just a bar graph and there's no scale so it's just kind of a relative indicator more so than an actual meter you could make measurements with. Now one thing that's going to be important, if you're trying to measure power, you're going to have to choose a mode on the rig that actually has a continuous carrier like AM or FM, or perhaps RIDI. If you've got it on sideband, you'll only see power when you're modulating the rig. This IC7700 gives you a pretty good indication of exactly what you've got. You can see we've got a power out here of 50 watts on AM, and uh, almost no VSWR. I mentioned earlier about the CB watt meter, maybe not being so great on HF. That's true of a lot of different watt meters. Different ones are made for different bands. This one is made for VHF and UHF, and I bought it at Radio Shack a number of years ago. You can still find uh, practically this same meter available today with different names on it. If I key it up on 2 meters here, the rig set to 50 watts, I'm on the 60 watt scale, and we can see I'm showing 50 watts up here. To measure SWR, I just flip the switch here, and we can see this dummy load only has a tiny bit of SWR to it. So, for VHF and UHF, you'll probably need a different meter than you would use for HF. Some meters even come with different slugs to change the frequency bands. Some HF antenna tuners, like this MFJ, come with a watt meter built in. The rig is putting out 50 watts, and we can see it says it's a little above 50 here. Now I'm on AM, and the reflected power is just above 3 watts. To measure the SWR, you look at where these two meters cross each other on the red line. And we can see we're just above 1.5 to 1 VSWR. There's also a switch on here to measure peak or average. There is a difference. Right now it's on average. If we put it on peak, we're not really going to see a change here with just a steady AM carrier. However, when we start modulating it, we'll notice a difference. On peak, you can see it's kind of rounding out here to around 50 watts. If we go back to average we can see that there's more deflection in the meter. When we use single sideband modulation, we can see that there's only carrier with the voice modulation. And we can see here on average, it's um, peaking up close to 100 watts on some peaks there. It's moving a lot, so it's hard to tell exactly what's going on. If we put it on peak, we can see it kind of smooths it out. So you can see now easily that we're peaking around 100 watts. The additional dampening on here makes it a little easier to see where our modulation peaks are. As hams, we're really interested in peak power because our maximum power output is 1500 watts peak to peak. Here's a little better meter than the one built into the tuner. This is another MFJ model. It's a true peak reading meter. That's going to show us our true peaks. We have the same average or peak button here, but you're going to find that it operates a little difference. We've got it on the 300-watt scale average, and I'm transmitting single sideband. Now, this is an IC7700. 7, it's a 200-watt rig. You'll see we're getting readers similar to what we had on the tuner. However, if we flip pin peak here, we'll find out that we've got a lot more power than that the meter's reading a little over 250 watts peak to peak. Now, I'm not sure about the calibration there, and another thing to keep in mind is the accuracy of your watt meter is going to be determined by the load, and it should have a good 50-ohm, purely resistive load. But with the true peak reading meter, we can get a much better idea of actually how much power we are putting out. Now let's step things up a few notches with the Applied Engineering Science DWM-2 Digital Reflectometer. It was carefully designed and aligned to NIST traceable standards. That's the National Institute of Standards and Technology. They maintain the standards by which all precision wattmeters are calibrated against. This meter is capable of accurately measuring power in VSWR from less than 1 watt up to 2 kilowatts from 1 to 60 megahertz without any slugs or exchanging directional couplers. And there's a new directional coupler that will be available soon that covers 50 megahertz up to 1 gigahertz with a one kilowatt continuous duty. This wattmeter can even accurately respond to a single dip at 60 words per minute. The DWM2 is very useful in environments where peak to average power ratios can be extreme, as well as in pulse power measurements. It's excellent for measuring AM, FM, sideband, CW, RIDI, and single sideband transmissions, as well as digital like PSK-31, 16, 64, and 256 QAM signals. This meter is also ideal for industrial, scientific, and medical applications where peak and average power measurements are important. It comes as two components— The DWM2 reflectometer mainframe has a nice resistive touchscreen interface and there's no switches on it to wear out or get dirty over time. This meter can measure up to 2,000 watts continuously from 1 to 30 megahertz and 1,000 watts continuously from 30 to 60 megahertz. However, the instantaneous peak power can be measured as high as 4,000 watts on the full range from 1 to 60 megahertz. The other half of the instrument is a DC-1RF directional coupler that you insert in the transmission path, and this means you can have the directional coupler mounted in the most appropriate place near your gear, and the mainframe can be positioned in a convenient operating location. Also, since you can have up to four directional couplers with this system, that means this one meter can be used with several different transmitters and antennas without worrying about changing patch cables or complicated switching arrangements. When you turn on the unit, It goes through a boot-up process. You're allowed to set the brightness of the display as well as configure the directional couplers. The setup screen allows us to adjust each of the four couplers to their specific calibration. Each coupler has a label on it that gives the values which should be entered in here. The unit gives you a variety of measurements all simultaneously. There's an analog forward power meter. There's a bar graph VSWR meter an SWR alarm indicator if you go greater than 3 to 1 SWR. There's also an indicator here that tells us the analog power is within range. We've got a digital forward average power readout, a digital reflected power readout, a digital peak power readout, and a digital SWR readout. There's also a range select switch here so that we can select to 20 watts full scale, 200 watts full scale, or 2000 watts full scale. And a mode select here with the tune mode you can choose that disables the SWR alarm while you're tuning. Also tune mode increases the display refresh rate by speeding it up to an analog like response so you can tune an amplifier or a tuner. It's about 10 times the speed of normal operating mode. At the top here is a port select switch where you can select between one of four directional couplers. Now let's do a little testing. So let's choose the 200 watt range here and see what power output we have. Going by the meters, we have 19 watts of forward power and I think this rig is limited to probably 20 watts on AM and a peak power of 21.9. If we modulate the unit, we'll see that the readings do change a little bit. We'll get a peak power up to 41.4 watts. And our reflected power on this dummy load is 1.16 to 1. We can see it's barely indicating here on the VSWR meter. And if we look up here on the analog meter, we can see we're just under 20 watts there, which coincides with the forward power digital display. Now let's switch it over to sideband and have a look. When we begin modulating the rig here, we see that the forward power is really not going that high. There's 25 watts. We can also see on the analog range over here, it looks like it's less than 50 watts. However, if we look down here at our peak power, we can see that we are doing 100 watts and greater. Now let's add a little bit of power to the equation. The analog watt meter on my tuner only shows I'm doing three or 400 watts. However, if I look here at the peak power... On the digital reflectometer, I find out that I'm doing in excess of 500 watts, which is about what I would expect. So if you're looking for a nice-looking meter that's easy to operate and gives you a lot of measurements all at once, then it's going to be hard to beat this Applied Engineering Science DWM2. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our look-around watt meters and perhaps learned a little something. There's a lot of different models out there, and with a little research, you can find one right for your application. You know, watt meters. That's just kind of one of those things that you need. Uh, a lot of HF rigs today have a watt meter and SWR meter mm-hmm. built into them, but not so uh, with VHF and UHF rigs.
1: Right. And you know, I don't know why they don't put those in there, but I don't think it really adds that much cost to it. But I'm almost embarrassed to say, that. all the meters you showed there, you remember the little radio shack? Yeah. That's actually the one I still use. Oh yeah. Well for VHF and UHF. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for HF I use my
2: one in my tuner.
1: Yeah.
2: Now, George, I've got a question here uh, more for uh, some of the beginners out there. Um let's say you've uh, you've got your nice brand new shiny rig back from um uh Gigaparts and uh, you've set up an antenna. Where should you me- measure your SWR? At the antenna or at the rig? Uh
0: that's a um That's a trick question, Peter, because you you want the rig to see minimum reflected power, so you'd want to measure there for that. However, you want the antenna to be 50 ohms, so you should measure it there to to see exactly what the antenna is. So um, I, I guess ideally you would measure it at the antenna, get the antenna correct, then put your coax in line and then measure it again at the rig. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that just because you're seeing um, a low SWR uh, with your antenna tuner or whatever at the rig doesn't necessarily mean that your antenna is radiating efficiently. There could be a a problem with your coax. So um, I think it's good to measure both.
0: Yeah, Um, and... Ideally, also, the tuner should be at the bottom of the antenna, not next to the rig. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But.
2: Oh, and One other quick tip, just to, for those uh, that are new to the hobby. Um, when you're using your SWR meter, okay, uh, for the first time with your rig, uh, make sure you turn the power output of the rig right down, uh, and uh, typically don't use single sideband. Use something with a carrier like AM. Uh, and um, just measure it low power first then once you've tuned your antenna then uh, you can crank up the power
0: yeah I, I mentioned uh, using AM, FM already but you could actually yep. use CW too on some mm-hmm. rigs on on mine uh, most of them if you hit push to talk while you're on CW it doesn't do anything you've got to connect a key into the rear mm-hmm. of the rig mm-hmm. so uh, yep. anyway let's get on into some emails here um this one comes from Gary, the winner of our Amatrologic T-shirt. Do you remember in our, yeah, oh yeah. You know, our ninth yeah. anniversary contest? He's going to take a picture of himself and send it to us and uh, because we want to see that. But he's been traveling, so he hasn't been able to do that. And by the way, if you go to the um, uh, com and uh, pick up a T-shirt on there, send us a picture of you wearing your shirt or... Uh, you could actually, I don't know, I guess you could put it on a hot chick and send a picture of that, too. But we'll, we'll put it on the show here for you and just see who's wearing the shirts these days. But uh, Gary said, uh, I'm demoing this thing, uh, AT&T Remote Mobility Zone. It's a self-contained comm trailer with a private cell site for uh, pre-designated private white-listed users, Wi-Fi with satellite backhaul. A 9KW generator, a 50-foot mass for antennas, satellite, audio acquire. And you can get uh, service where no service exists or supplement the normal cell network where it may be too congested uh, because of special events or surges, outages, or uh, disasters, one thing or another. And he says they sell those to customers, and then they subscribe to a monthly service, and it becomes a private cell site, and uh, his company manages the frequency coordinating when they use it. He said that's the latest toy that he's been messing with. Wouldn't you like to have one of those? Yeah, that's
1: pretty awesome right there.
0: That would be nice yeah. at field day, wouldn't it? You,
1: you, yeah, no kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, pretty neat there. Uh, What have you got over there, Tommy?
1: Yeah, I've got one more. Actually, this is kind of part of a thread. It was so long. Um, This one's actually from uh, Michael, AB7YZ. And Michael emailed me about having some trouble setting up his DV Mega. He bought the kit from Gigaparts, which they still have some of those in stock. I looked, and uh, they got some of them back. But... Anyway, he was having trouble. He would get a a message on his repeater software that said that it was an invalid header every time he would key up. So um, I had him go back and change the um, offset in the radio to make it look like it's a repeater but have a zero offset frequency on it. So it actually repeated, I mean, uh, transmitted and received on the same frequency. But anyway, he, he uh, emailed back and said uh, that he programmed the DV Mega as a repeater suggested with the duplex and zero offset. First time microchunk, it reports not linked the second time. It responds that it's linking, but it never actually links. So I actually had him re-download the image and start over with the steps again, which I had a similar problem, and, and I did it follow steps to the letter. He mm-hmm. programmed it, and everything's cool. So if you have trouble setting that up, just get the image, start over again, and it for some reason almost works the second time every time. I've had three or four people email me. Really? I yeah. gave them the same suggestion, which worked every time.
0: Cool. For years, hams have relied on the world's most popular antenna analyzer, the MFJ259B. That compact battery-powered RF impedance analyzer combined four basic circuits, a 1.8-170 MHz variable frequency oscillator, a frequency counter, a 50-ohm RF bridge, and an 8-bit microcontroller. Now the MFJ-259 has been updated to the new MFJ-259C. All the same great functions present in the 259B with an expanded frequency range. The MFJ-259C covers all frequencies from 530 kHz to 230 MHz. If you need to measure UHF, the MFJ-269C adds 415 to 470 MHz. And MFJ's got two new graphic antenna analyzers as well. You get the big picture every time with MFJ-225's built-in backlighted 3-inch LCD graphic display. Make fine circuit adjustments using full-screen, easy-to-view SWR bar graph, capture vivid swept displays for SWR, impedance, return loss, phase angle, and more. Operation is simple. Adjust the center frequency, tuning step, and sweep width instantly while viewing your plot, literally shaping it before your eyes. The MFJ-225 tunes continuously from 1.5 to 179.9 MHz with rock-solid stability and no gaps. The new MFJ223 breaks the size barrier for RF analyzers by delivering user-friendly convenience, top-notch accuracy, and a vivid TFT multicolor display in an ultra-compact package. Use the single frequency mode to view standing wave ratio, resistance, reactance, and local interference level simultaneously on a high-resolution analog bar graph display. Use the scan frequency mode to graphically plot SWR, resistance, reactance, and impedance. All four plots are captured as a sequence of sharply defined color graphics. No one knows more about antenna analyzers than MFJ. Visit MFJEnterprises.com today. Nice antenna analyzers. Yeah, every
1: time. I really like those new graphical ones they've got.
0: Yeah, that, that's
1: my favorite one—not the
0: color one, but the uh, the other one.
1: Yeah, the one right before the last one. Yeah. If,
0: if I ever use the color one much, so I might think it was my favorite. Of you know, maybe. Really really didn't play with it much. Well, what have you got for us this month?
1: We had some viewers, like I mentioned a few moments ago, ask about setting up an iGate for old-school APRS. We're going to do something this month on Amateur Logic that I guess we probably haven't really done very much of before, and that's APRS. Not DPRS through D Star, but regular old-school APRS. And we had someone ask how to set up an iGate. Well, an iGate is... Basically, an APRS station that receives packets and will route them through to the internet to the APRS network so you can find yourself on APRS.FI or you can send messages to other people um, that will route through the internet, things like that. We're going to go kind of low budget on it this time, which is my favorite way to go, and we're going to use a Raspberry Pi for the computer. And we've got this TNC Pi that George actually built on Ham Nation, and it's been sitting on the shelf, and we're going to use it. It's a pretty nice little board. It matches up perfectly with the GPIO pins on the Pi. It costs around in the $40-ish range for the kit. And while he put this one together, I did look over the build instructions, and it looks pretty easy to do. I'm sure I could do this myself without too much trouble. To mount the board onto the Pi, It just plugs right onto the GPIO pins. If you look at it pretty close, you'll see there's a little clearance there. And the reason for that is the solder connections on the bottom of the serial port that hooks up to the TNC Pi are right above the USB ports on the Pi itself. So there's a piece of... Sticky foam in the middle to insulate it so you don't get a shortage condition there To hook this up to the radio. It only takes four wires You've got the input audio the output audio push to talk in the ground I decided to use my old 857D for this. It's just kind of sitting there and uh, I'm going to use the data port on the back since this already got everything I need in one So I have a PS2 keyboard extender cable and a DB9 that's hooked up to it because this PS2 cable actually fits the back of my rig perfectly. You need to look in the documentation for your radio to see what the wiring diagram is for it. I've taken the liberty to go ahead and fix my Raspberry Pi. I've got the Wi-Fi dongle already in here, and I've got an SD card with the latest RASP being on it. I've gone ahead and changed my password, installed VNC so I could demo for you. And it's all set up so my network is ready to go. So I'm just going to go ahead and plug it up, and we'll power it up and get started. The software we're going to use is called Zaster. And it's a GUI application that will show you a map and the representation of all the APRS stations in your area. It also has some pretty neat networking capabilities built in that you can communicate with a modem over the Internet, uh, GPS, and various things. Speaking of GPS, I don't have one that I'm going to hook up today. I'm going to just put my coordinates in here since the thing's at my house and it won't be moving, but you can hook up a GPS to it if you like. First thing we need to do is install the software. So let's bring up a terminal client. sudo apt-get install zester. X-A-S-T-I-R. While that's installing... You don't have to run this as an I-Gate. You can just have a standalone APRS station. We've got a Digipeter close to my house, which you'll see in a few moments when we get set up. And there's some people in the area. Hopefully, they'll be using APRS. And uh, you'll see that it gets routed from their place to the Digipeter to an I-Gate that's a good bit south of me. And when my station comes on, it'll know that I'm closer and it'll actually start routing that traffic to my iGate gate here instead of the other one. If you don't have a dedicated transceiver you want to hook up to it and you want to put an eye gate on, by all means use an old scanner uh, whatever you got that will pick up the 144.39 frequency and it'll actually work for you as well. It'll take the traffic, route it to the internet unfortunately it won't send anything back, but that's okay for an iGate. There's one thing we're going to need to do before we run the disaster software. There's a line in the boot config file, it's actually a command line dot text file, that causes the system to use the serial port on the Pi. We need to remove that reference so we have access to the serial port to communicate back and forth with the modem. So let's do that, I'll go cd um, boot and sudo-nano-wcmdline.txt, and there's the line, and it's this console right here. According to the documentation, there are two pieces of data you need to remove from here, but I'm only finding one in this latest version of Raspi, and I just downloaded it. It's a brand new version, well, for, actually from September uh, it was in the older one that I had when I was kind of looking around, but it, apparently they must have removed it. So we just need to remove from this 115.200 up to console like that. Control X, Y to save, hit enter. We also need to change one setting in the init tab, and that's in the, the WAC ETC folder. So let's go well, CD, WAC. ETC and I'll just use the up arrow and we'll change this to INITTAB and down near the bottom there's a line that we need to comment out spawn the Raspberry Pi serial line just put a pound sign in front of that and that that will keep it from executing. Control X Y and Enter After we reboot, our serial port will be free, and we can communicate with the modem from the Pi. All right, that's installed. Let's run it and configure the software. We'll find our new program under the other menu, and it should be down here, Zaster, right there. To connect to the database over the internet, you'll need a password. and Basically, there's a utility here that will run that will take care of that for us. Okay, so let's put our call sign in. And I'm going to do dash 10 SSID. I looked it up, and that's one that's typically used for an iGate, so I'm going to go with that. Since I don't have a GPS, I just so happen to have my coordinates written down here. I think I'll change this comment to say Zaster iGate, just for fun. And the rest of it, I believe we'll just leave alone. Let's maximize that so we can see it a little better. Now this is a vector map that we're looking at, so it scales. It's not the best detail, but it's good enough for me. There's some other ones that you can download. I haven't really played around with that. let's go ahead and zoom in a little bit so we can see the map a little better. We should see ourselves There I am right there. Let's go ahead and finish the configuration. We'll do File, Configure, Defaults, and we're gonna have a fixed station. I wanna allow RF internet traffic to and from my station here. If you don't want to be an iGate, make sure that this disable all iGate traffic box is checked here, and then you'll be just a regular APRS station. I'm gonna go ahead and click Save Config. Now that we've configured the, the default stuff, let's go ahead and add the interface that'll communicate with the TNC modem and the one that'll actually communicate with the internet. To do that, we'll go to Interface, interface control and we'll add and this one's going to be serial KISS TNC the TNC port is going to be DEV TTY AMA 0 just like that. The punctuation and capitalization count. The port is going to be 19,200 since that's the only one that the device actually supports. And here we want to enable our internet traffic as well. So I I set mine there. Again, if you don't want an iGate, turn that one, put it back to disable. And I've changed that to KISS mode on startup. KISS is the mode of the modem that uh, the software knows how to communicate. So I'm going to go ahead and change that. Now, we can enable that and start seeing APRS, except we need to turn the radio on. There's some weirdness that happens on this program, and you'll see that the buttons are gone at the bottom here. To get it back, just close it and go back to interface and interface control again, and it's back. So we can actually start that port, and now it's communicating. When a packet comes across APRS on the radio, it's gonna come through, the modem here. It's is gonna decode it, and its software is gonna display it on the screen. While we're waiting on someone to to send the packet across, APRS is a little quiet in my area. I'm gonna go ahead and send mine. So I'll go to Interface, Transmit Now, and you can see it transmitted. So if we go to APRS.fi, you can see right here, there's my n 5 0 10 my Zaster iGate, and you can see well, this is actually the time that I'm shooting this video, so this this is correct. Let's go ahead and add the other interface so we can have the internet traffic as well. When you see that come up, it's going you're going to see this thing go crazy. That's why I was kind of waiting. There's somebody else on there. Let's add that internet port. Add internet server. Add and allow transmitting is on. All these are the defaults. If you notice, we need a passcode. When we installed Zaster, it installed a utility to generate a passcode, and we'll run it. All we need to do is bring up the terminal again, put, run call pass, put your call sign in there, and it'll give you a number back. Plug the number in right here. And I did it yesterday. I'm, I'm not gonna show you my number As close as we are, I'm not going to show you my password, so I'm going to go ahead and type it in. And that port is down, so let's go ahead and start that one too. Look at all those stations popping up over the internet. These are showing all the stations that have reported in over a certain time frame. Let's check on APRS.fi and see if we've actually started routing any data through yet. You would know it'd be pretty quiet out there right now. Okay, it's been a few minutes. I'm starting to hear some traffic. Let's see if we routed any to our iGate now. I can see on my map here that we've got quite a few more stations showing up. Let's bring up our browser. And there's my station. There's the DigiPeter I told you that's close to my house. And let's see. He has not transmitted. Here's one way down here, and if you look at that one, his path went up to the digipeter right there. If you look at his path, you can see it went from his station, it hit the digi, and then it went to my station. You, you got to admit, that is a really easy and relatively inexpensive way to get an APRS station on the air, uh, much less than I gate at that. Anyway, 73, I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll catch you next time.
0: That was pretty inexpensive. Tommy, how much did that cost you?
1: Well, I had a Raspberry Pi laying there, and I stole the modem from you, so it didn't really cost me much of <laughs> anything.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. looked like,
0: like fun. You know, I hadn't played with that thing in a long time, so I was glad to see you do something yeah, with it.
1: it's neat stuff. It's. I wish there was more traffic around here on it. Some areas, you know, it's pretty busy. It's just really not here. Yeah, um, but uh, it's cool. If you want to get an IGate gate on the air, you know that's a pretty cheap way to do it, and you don't have to have a trans- transceiver. You can just use a scanner or a receiver and actually have a you know one way. So
2: yeah, yeah. do you have a local BBS in in your area in Jackson?
1: Not anymore. No, the, all that stuff's uh, pretty much dead around here.
2: Yeah, I, I always uh, enjoy uh, logging into a BBS and seeing the headers coming over from NASA. They send, like, regular messages, just updates of uh, technological things that are happening, and it gets routed through the APRS network, which is pretty good. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, just search on space. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We we had Packet back in, uh, well, in
1: the 90s, we used to do a fair amount yeah, of it. A pretty good bit. It was so much fun. I, I really hate it went away, but I guess the Internet and cell phones and, and texting must have killed that.
0: Yeah, and... and Twenty four hundred baud, you know, or twelve hundred, whatever we were running. <laughs> it back plenty,
1: then. Fi- plenty fast enough to send ASCII messages.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we finally got ninety six hundred on. Some people got that. Yeah. I, I never, I owned never 9, did 6, do that. That was
1: a little bit rich for my blood at the time. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll be back in a moment with uh, a little more entertainment for you. Got a license or just upgraded? Get on HF with ICOM. Check out the IC7200, IC7410, and IC7100. Each feature ICOM signature DSP technology. The IC7200 is an entry-level radio that's packed with quality features, including AGC loop management, built-in digital filters, twin-pass band tuning, and manual notch filter you also get digital noise reduction and noise blanker in this high-stability transmitter. And you can take this rig out of the shack. It's built military tough with waterproof buttons and knobs. The IC7410 is a high-performance radio for everyday HF communications. Features include fast digital signal processing, double-conversion super heterodyne system, built-in 15 kHz first IF filter with optional 3 kHz and 6 kHz first IF filters. This promotes enhanced operation on CW and single sideband modes. The IC7100 employs multi-band and all-mode digital operation right at your fingertips. Features include touchscreen and angled control head for optimal viewing, 32-bit floating point DSP for powerful HF operation, and optional RSBA1 IP remote control software. Look to the future of HF with this D-Star Radio. So whether you've just got your license or just upgraded, get on HF with the ICOM. Well, let's get on back into the emails here. Peter, you've got one more, don't you?
2: Yeah, I've got one more, and it's a doozy. Um, This email's from somebody called Rivpat77. They didn't leave a name or a call sign, but uh, it's an interesting question. He asks, or he says that he has a G5RV with a centre-fed 20-metre dipole. Now, I'm not clear as to whether he's got them both connected at the same time, G5RV is different from a 20 metre dipole, but he says that he noticed that if he tries to tune the rig before the sun comes up, it won't tune. After the sun comes up, it tunes on all bands easily. Any suggestions? I can only think that there's some kind of um, temperature dependent (laughs) excuse me, temperature dependent um, uh, what would you call it? Poor connection along the uh, uh, along his connect, uh, his coax somewhere. What do you guys think? Um.
0: Yeah, I, I think two things. One, it could be temperature dependent. You know, copper expands and contracts with temperature, and maybe something is moving. There's a bad connection, and you know, as the as the uh, copper expands and contracts, it's making and breaking it. I mean, I've mm-hmm. seen this this on a uh, broadcast. Uh, Stations before where you know where copper did that, and the other thing I think is maybe he's getting a little moisture in a connector or somewhere, and as the sun comes up, it dries it out.
1: That that could very well be. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So
2: that. But thanks for the email.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I've got one final email here, and this one comes from a guy who's in the chat room right now. It's Arnie K five A R N. You remember Arnie? Oh yeah, man. Our our buddy from up at Columbus.
1: Arnie's is the only one on the whole planet that's got the, I'm a fan of amateur logic badge.
0: I think maybe somebody else got one, but I know he's the one who started it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, he says, congratulations on nine years. Uh, It's an outstanding accomplishment for you and Tommy and Peter and Jimmy in the beginning. And it says it's helped him so much uh, to become a ham after he retired. He's watched for 6.5 years uh, while he's cruising to Sweden uh, at one time. Wait a minute. Let me read that again. He watched 6.5 years of the show while cruising to Sweden one time. He says he learned so much. Boy, 6.5 years. That was a long cruise, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's a long time.
0: Yeah, he says, uh, "What I like is the laid-back Southern style you have. It's so friendly and homey, but still very informative." Uh, please do not lose that style. I don't. I don't think we're at risk of losing it. But uh, yesterday's well, live show, and I guess this is the one. Um, maybe it was Pacificon. Maybe it was. Must have been night. the
1: one we shot yeah. last weekend.
0: Yeah, um, was a test for you, but uh, considering this. There was not one harsh word or negative comment in the chat room. Everybody understood and had a good time. Yeah, and that's when we had so many problems uh, streaming uh, a couple of episodes back, I think. He says, after the show, we did some searching on the net and stumbled across this. And he said, uh, this is a, a trinket from Adafruit. Maybe this would work in that antenna project I was working on, the, you know, the uh, servo antenna switcher. Mm-hmm. And it's not very expensive. And, yeah, it probably would work. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I just wanted to build something myself. So uh, I'm not going that route. But he also sent a link to this also from Out of Fruit. A 5-volt bucking regulator. You know, it'll take a range of voltage here right above 5 volts. Step it down to 5 volts. And uh, it's highly efficient. So you don't lose all the power that you lose in a normal uh, linear you know like a 7805 chip or something like that remember that uh, raspberry pi power supply i built that was real efficient mm-hmm. it was it was pretty similar to that but uh that that was a little bit pricey right there um what is it 1495? Yeah,
1: 1495 but I, I i'd like to have one that i can use six volt batteries I, mm-hmm. so I ended up with several six volt batteries and i'd like to step them down to five volts to use them
0: yeah well yeah that that would probably work good for that um, let's see. Uh, well, thanks for that, Arnie. And uh, thanks for watching. You know, 6.5 years worth of all at one time could be damaging to your health. We assume no
1: responsibility. <laughs> he, he made it through it okay because he's in the chat room now. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So congrats so. on, congrats well, on that feed alone.
2: I calculate that at one hour per episode, that would be about 78 hours <coughs> solid. Wow.
1: Uh, viewing and, and most of them are an hour and ten minutes or more?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're rarely exactly an hour anymore, Yeah, usually a lot longer. Well, you know, he was asking about the trinket, and I said I wanted to build my own. Here is uh, my boards. I just got these back from Express PCB. Uh, this is going to be for my um, Arduino antenna switcher project. Uh, we looked at that i guess a couple of months back now but anyway I've, you know i showed you the schematic on it here it is to a printed circuit board that just came in this week and i haven't tested it yet hadn't put any parts on it but we'll be looking more at this in the future and it's uh you know it's got a little proto area so it's not strictly just for that one project you so know. that's two boards in one right yeah this is actually two boards uh if you rip it down the middle here Right behind Peter? Yeah, right behind Peter. If you rip mm-hmm. it down the middle, you'll get two Arduinos on this one board. And I had to buy um, three boards was was the quantity. So I'll get six Arduinos out of that. Cool.
1: That's a nice-looking board. Yeah,
0: it is a nice-looking board. Yeah, I'll be curious to
1: see after you get it stuffed and everything.
0: Yeah, I didn't uh, buy the, the solder mask. That was going to be like an extra $25 to get the solder mask and... Uh, you know, get the legends and all printed on it. So
1: those are, those there. are really tight little traces. You'd have had a heck of a time drawing those out and doing them yourself. Yeah, I couldn't have done that with a sharpie. Could I? <laughs> no, I don't think so.
0: <laughs> and uh, one one final. This is not an email. This is a mail. Uh, Bruce N one EBQ. You know, he's the guy. Um, well, he won a chameleon an MCOM antenna that I gave away over mm-hmm. on Ham Nation. In uh-huh. the smoke and solder segment and he says he's going to have a lot of fun playing with that and uh, that um, you know he'll, he'll let us know how it works out for him cool. but to show his appreciation for the hard work that uh, that we do uh, that benefits all the viewers he's enclosed a small gift for uh, me and for uh, tony Tommy, Tommy, yeah,
1: <laughs> Tony from Dayton, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> and he says on Amateur Logic episode sixty nine, Peter showed us a nifty little component tester that uh, I have enjoyed, and I hope you guys will too. Uh, probably would never have discovered this device if it weren't for your show. And it's just the kind of thing that makes Amateur Logic and Ham Nation fantastic resources for all hams. Uh, you make it entertaining as well as informative. And I hope that you'll continue to do so for some time to come. Well thanks Bruce and yeah. yeah, Peter, we got uh we got one of your little component testers. Well we actually got two, one for each of us.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, Bruce. Really appreciate that.
2: Very, very All, nice. Uh, I'm hesitant to take credit for um, sh- showing you uh, the, the tester. Originally, I saw it on one of Julian Eilett's videos on, on YouTube. It's I-L-E-T-T, and that's where I learned about it from. But I'm happy to share the knowledge. It's quite a a good little device.
0: Oh, yeah, a very nice little device. A couple other things here we want to talk about. You know, Christmas is coming up soon. And now's a perfect opportunity to get your order in over at AmateurLogic.Spreadshirt.com. There's a special going on. It may not be still going on by the time you watch this, depending on when you no,
1: watch. No, but there's actually a, another one coming up. I'll I'll post. There, there'll there be several coming up between now and Christmas. I try not to put too many yeah. out there. But I just don't want to flood everybody with them. But there are a couple of good specials coming up. But when the really good ones come, I'll post them over in the usual social media. Yeah,
0: here's where you can get your amateurlogic T-shirts, your uh, polo shirts, your caps, uh, jackets, all your amateurlogic swag. Uh, go over there and check it out. You know, you might see something on there that you just got to have. And if you do get something from here, and I know a lot of you have, send us a picture of yourself wearing it. And we'll put yeah. it on the show.
1: It'd be the best
2: looking one at
1: Thanksgiving or at a Christmas party. Yeah,
0: exactly.
2: Uh, Tommy, George, when you were in uh, Dayton uh, earlier this year, uh, were there many people wearing the T-shirts or all the swag? Um, we saw some. There, there were some.
1: Yeah, no. Not as many as I would have liked to see. No. But but mm-hmm. there were some that had them.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you okay. know, a lot of events we go to, we see them. I did not see any at Pacificon. And, you know, as I mentioned, that's a shame because, you know, we're going to give a grand prize to yeah. know, the first one I saw. Yeah, I missed saw, out. But, yeah. Uh, I bet they'll have them next, next year. No, oh, yeah, I bet they will. And I did see them in Oregon at CPAC. Remember, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I talked to those guys.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're out there. I'd like to see more out there. Um, represent, kind of spread the word, amateur logic.
0: Yeah, and a- another question here we've got for you: uh, the, our friends that do the uh, D-Star Net over on Ham Nation ask would be interested in doing a D-Star Net
1: on Amateur Logic,
0: and if you would. Uh, uh, send us an email. Let us know. You know if that's something you'd be interested in.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it'd be nice if we got enough interest in it. We could start one of those up. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you know. So uh,
0: let us know. We tried it uh, oh a long time ago, and we really just weren't having that many D Star visitors. So right. we uh, we kind of dropped it. But hey, if it, if you think it's something you want, we've done a lot of D Star things here lately. So maybe.
1: You know, maybe there's a, a better crowd out there yeah. you now. Well, I've actually had a few people ask me why we didn't have a D-Star net. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a little interest. Uh, well, uh, if you guys are interested in it, let us know. And, and if you are, if there's enough interest, we'll get one put together.
0: Yeah. And, uh, well, we just want to mention a, a couple of things here before we go. The Echo Link net is going to be when? November the 17th. And that's going to be at 830 Central Standard Time
1: or... Yeah, uh, 0230 UTC. I'm yeah. looking. <laughs> I'm actually pretty impressed that you got the slide up there this time because a lot of times we have last month's on there.
0: Well, actually. <laughs> I I did this one and I looked at it just before you got here and it said October seventeenth. Oh, so go. <laughs> <laughs> I did go in and change it and I added UTC to it as well and yeah. I made it Central Standard Time instead of Central mm-hmm. Daylight Time.
1: So I'm a little. You see why I'm a little gunshot just to read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I do. Also, um, you know, we've got our our social networks that have really been growing. We got the Facebook group that's Facebook.com/slash group/slash amateurlogic.tv TV, and you know we're almost at three thousand now.
1: Yeah, I saw that. I added a few today, so I think we're maybe five people short.
0: Yeah, so get a few more in there.
1: We'll hit three thousand on the
0: Amateurlogic group. I don't know what we're going to do when we get there.
1: Yeah, you know, if uh, every morning I wake up, I check all that stuff on my iPad before I get ready for work, <laughs> and there's always two or three on there, but it's usually really hot chicks. But yeah. they have guys' names on them for some reason, and they have brand-new Facebook accounts. Never had a friend, anything. So if we added, kept adding those, we'd probably be up to 4,000 by yeah. now.
0: Yeah, and everybody would have plenty of sunglasses and designer bags, <laughs> yeah. too, because yeah. that's what they usually yeah. post. Every, every now and then, one slips through like that. Yeah, But we, we try to uh, uh, keep the spam to minimum by carefully vetting uh, all, right. all of our uh, our group members. So that means we've vetted almost 3,000 now. For the yeah. group, we've also got a good group going over at uh, Google Plus.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good community. We got uh, probably sixteen hundred people over there, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of fun stuff over there. That's where Mike uh, posts the, the Photoshop pictures a lot and so Check that out if you yeah. haven't been there.
0: And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at amateurlogic and I guess that's, that's about all I've got here in my stack of papers. Y'all got any Not ideas? Quite.
2: Not quite. If uh, Just a quick addition. Um, I, you might, if, for those of you who've been on the uh, Facebook site, you might have seen that uh, 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 in the last week I was interviewed on uh, Satellite Nation. So oh, yeah. So I just yeah. want to give a quick shout-out to Satellite Nation and uh, for Mike and the other host whose name just escapes me at the moment. I apologize. Um, go go check
0: that out. Yeah, and I listened to it this week. It was really interesting. You know, I did one a few weeks ago with him. I think you're going to be doing. Yeah, I'm that
2: scheduled
1: too. for uh, not not this week, but next the okay. following week.
0: And I think the link is satelliteguys.us. Does that sound right, Peter? I, think, I believe that's right.
1: Yeah.
2: Just one second, and we'll check. It's uh, yes, satelliteguys.us.
0: Yeah, it's a it's an audio podcast and I think they stream that over um some subcarrier on a satellite as well. Oh, I didn't know that. I think they did. I'm not positive about that now, but um yeah, a great group of guys there and they talk mm-hmm. about more than just satellites. So
2: Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's an interesting show. Yeah. Well, it was a real honor just to be asked, uh, you know, I, I, why anybody would want to listen to me rabbit on I I've no idea, but there you go. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, We hope everybody gets plenty of turkey coming up here later this month.
1: Oh, yeah. I I guess this is it until uh, the Christmas show.
0: Yeah. Yep, I think you're right. Unless we come up with something, a bonus episode in between, I don't know if we will Yeah, you never
1: really know about
0: that. Never really know. You just have to uh, check around and find out. So I guess that's going to do it. So to everybody, happy Turkey Day.
2: Yep, happy Turkey Day 73. Happy Turkey Day, 73s. (laughs)
0: what do you got for us this month? Do you remember? Yeah,
1: I do. (laughs) (laughs) But you caught me off guard. (laughs) Uh,
0: What's he demoing? Well, let me see if I can hit the right button here. No, apparently I can't. Well, (laughs) that's a deep subject. That is a deep subject. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad I brought
1: it up. Okay.
0: Yeah, I didn't uh, buy the the solder mass. That was going to be like an extra twenty five hundred dollars
1: for that. No, oh, not twenty five hundred.
0: An extra twenty five hundred. Whoa. You're, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whoa.